We could have made a campy action-adventure rom-com, but fuck that. Let's dive headfirst into a summary of the dangers and consequences of patriarchy and our society's rigid structural expectations of gender roles. Thanks, toxic masculinity. You're the best. Hey guys, welcome to our last episode for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. I have a special episode for you guys. I've been working on it for quite some time, probably longer than I should have been, but I mean, that's, that's, that's life. But first, a quick trigger warning. Today is heavy topics like rape, sexual assault, violence, patriarchy. Also, I swear a lot. And I, for some reason, end up saying the word penis more than I expected to, but I mean, that's life, I guess. Anyways, as always, please prioritize yourself first. I will be here when you come back. Self-care first and always take a nap, go for a walk, make yourself a cup of coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash deep discussion. That's as subtle as I get, but you know what? I'm just going to like lean into that because, yeah, that's my life. Anyways, assuming you are still here, today we are talking about, in broad strokes, how society's rigid gender construct creates a breeding ground for things like rape culture and toxic masculinity and what are the consequences of this. Toxic masculinity equals bad, rape culture equals gross, and also it's bad for everyone in many ways that we will discuss. And, you know, we've seen a lot of consequences, like, say, the erosion of Title IX rules under Betsy, devoid of emotion and empathy and ability to think outside her white Karen-ness, and rising rates of domestic violence during the COVID pandemic, and restrictions against the transgender community, particularly trans girls and trans women in sports and athletics. It's been a really, really hard time for that stuff. And with this and other examples, the million more I don't have time to get into, there is one underlying connection, which is that they all focus on women. And yes, trans women are women, guys. I'm just, if I ever say women, I'm including trans women, okay? JK Rowling's need not apply to my podcast. But today, we're shifting gears. We are going to talk about the men. Let's hear it for the boys. And trans men, because trans men are men. Dun, dun, dun. Because we don't talk about this as much for reasons, but men and boys are also damaged by patriarchy and toxic masculinity. But I'm just going to say right now, drawing a line in the sand before we start, that nothing I'm going to talk about excuses male violence at all. Mm-mm. Okay. However, my goal is working to end cycles of violence, meaning if we want to understand the problem and then dissect it and figure out and strategize how to kind of fix it, we need to understand it from every angle. And men are there, right? They're the problems and perpetuators of it, but they're also victims of it. So we got to look at what's going on with them too. So why they even choose violence? Why do men choose violence? What internalized messaging did they learn as boys to make it seem like that was ever an acceptable option? All right, that's the goal for today. And what kinds of cultural and structural messaging set the stage so that a major quote unquote feminist question mark movie was able to make Wonder Woman a rapist. 
and no one really said anything about it. And that's today on the DV Discussion. I bet some of you with that last line were like, wait, what did she just say? What is she smoking? But okay, hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. We're going to we're gonna deep dive here. We're going to pick this apart. And I promise it'll all make sense if it doesn't already make sense. So while you digest that bombshell, let's set the stage, okay? Let's picture this together. <clears throat> Imagine a room, like a random apartment, pretty generic, and there's a man there. And this man has no name that we know of. We'll call him the man with no name. I know, mysterious. Now, this man with no name wakes up in this random-ass apartment. He scans the room, trying to recall, hey, I think like a week has passed since I last, last checked in with myself, but wait, I can't remember anything. Okay, how are you feeling right now? Yeah, if it were you, you'd be kind of like, what is happening. It would be really unsettling, right? And it may feel unsettling because we've heard this story before. Chanel Miller, she woke up with no memory of being raped in an alley, and she actually learned the details of her assault through the news and following this media storm because someone characterized her rape as 20 minutes of action. You, Brock Turner. And 16-year-old Jada is also an example of this. I think we all remember her. She was a 16-year-old high schooler. She went to a party, had a drink, woke up the next day and was like, oh, those are naked pictures of my unconscious assaulted body circling the internet. And it was followed by people actually mimicking and mocking her unconscious position. It was like hashtag Jada pose, all right? So... When we picture a guy waking up in an apartment, can't remember what happened, doesn't remember, there's missing time, it's not unfamiliar, and we can kind of relate to that anxiety. I kind of have it in my stomach right now, okay? Now, in the case of this man, he does have a little bit of a backstory here. He does not remember that another person, in fact, did knock him unconscious and took control of him and used his body. It was used in fist fights and gunfights, and it was used in sex. It was used in moments of intimacy. And the people who used his body, they briefly acknowledged, oh yeah, he's attractive. I think he's like an engineer. Oh my gosh, so many pictures of himself. He is a selfie queen, right? And after this guy woke up, he actually met one of his assailants. Now, he didn't remember her, but she remembered him and she showed no remorse for her actions. She actually flirted with him, giving him some, you know, scan his body. And it's like, okay, girl, let's, um, let's pump the brakes here. This is not appropriate. Ahem. Oh, um, the, the assailant, the woman, by the way, who was like flirting with the guy that she, um, was intimate with while he was unconscious and not consenting. That's Wonder Woman. That's the connection. Okay. But let's get back to the main point here. Let's not lose our train of thought. You know, there are two things that set this man with no name apart from Chanel Miller and Jada. You know, one being the man with no name is fiction in a story, you know, a character from the Wonder Woman 1984 movie. And the second thing is that this guy is a guy. He's male. Now, male survivors do exist. We hear about them not a lot. Okay, we don't hear about them a lot, honestly. And that's kind of what I'm trying to get at here. Male survivors exist, but their stories are often buried and hidden. 
And that's like best case scenario. At worst case scenario, it's a punchline. Or in the case of the man with no name, he was victimized. And this was used, it was a plot point. It was romanticized and portrayed as healthy because he was this physical vessel for the male love interest to Wonder Woman. And they had a healthy relationship, I guess. But oh yeah, they did that while overlooking the fact that their healthy relationship was built on the back of the rape and abuse of this man with no name. I mean, can you imagine the writer's room, like some poor intern being like, oh, hey, wait a second, isn't this like assault or something? And they're like, shut up, Billy, it's fine. Why you gotta be such a snowflake? Okay, my imagination, the writers are also the guys who comment on every article I write about rape culture. Well, what about the male survivor? It's like, oh my god, because no one really came out. Like, the same guys who would comment on articles about female sexual assault didn't really have much to say about this movie. And that makes me want to tear my freaking hair out because, uh, one, there's that, and, like, and this makes me want to tear my freaking hair out because why is it that people only bring up male survivors and male victimization uh, to like to tear down female sexual assault survivors? But when you have an actual example of it in a very public forum in a major blockbuster movie, oh my god, there's nothing. It's silent. And also, it, this is it's so just cringeworthy because this whole movie was such a freaking unforced error. If the writers had just listened to Billy and deleted like two freaking lines of text, boom, problem solved. You're back to being a shitty movie with no coherent plot and a terrible acting and very questionable abuse of capitalism, actually, and Kristen Wiig trying her best. And then you have like this anti-Palestinian ex-IDF soldier saving brown Muslim kids, which is like kind of racism. But you know what? At least you don't have rape and sexual assault of a guy. You just have the, everything else that's the problem with it, right? I mean, for God's sakes, you already had a magic wishing stone that you use to bring back the love interest. I mean, if you're gonna be camp, just lean in. Why bother bringing this poor guy into it? Oh man, hey guys, you know, it doesn't make sense to bring back the male love interest like in any other context. We gotta like have a reason to, to do it, bring some realism into it. Oh, there's a magic wishing rock. Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I mean, why bother? I mean, the man with no name is such an afterthought. He does not even have his own name. You can look this up. The actor who plays this guy is literally credited as handsome man. <laughs> oh yeah, we could have made a campy action-adventure rom-com, but fuck that. Let's dive headfirst into a summary of the dangers and consequences of patriarchy and our society's rigid structural expectations of gender roles. Thanks, toxic masculinity. You're the best. <sighs> Honestly, this fuck up. The writers not listening to Billy. Bless you, Billy. The editors not catching it. And the audience also not calling them out on this victimization to me, really represents and really symbolizes how our society looks at male survivors of rape and sexual assault, that they don't exist, that we and that we don't support them. I mean, this whole thing, I think no matter who you are, if you're a survivor, this is really triggering. This is 
This is traumatizing. I mean, everything from them throwing it in to a major movie, like not just like some indie film trying to make a point. It was just literally the result of the fighters, again, not listening to Billy. Good old Billy. You deserve better, Billy. And again, they were not trying to make a point here. The writers were just too freaking lazy to bother to fix their bad writing. I mean, look at the plot. It's a hot mess, right? However, lazy writing does not give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. If you hit someone in the face, even if you weren't trying to, maybe you were carrying like a shitload of books and then you tripped and then, oh no, I landed on your face. Yeah, well, their face still freaking hurts, okay? So maybe next time be a little more careful about how many books you carry, like, you know, or maybe ask for some help, right? And this is, uh, gosh, this is one argument about why Wonder Woman, uh, yeah. And also, I want to just throw in here, this is why I really disagree with one argument that talks about why Wonder Woman having sex with this guy is really okay because at the end of the movie, like, she wishes to undo her wish and then it's like it never happened. But guess what? The fact that the writers wrote Wonder Woman to make this choice in the first place really shows where they stand on the issues of male victimization, all right? They intentionally wrote Wonder Woman to have sex with a man who did not consent. And this is rape. You know, you guys could have listened to Billy and simply decided, hey, we got a magic wishing rock, so let's just like bring back this dead character instead of like giving him a body to inhabit. Yeah, that would have avoided the entire situation. Like literally, deleting a few lines of text would have changed the story from horrifying back to it's like a hot mess, but it can't be a hot mess, okay? All it would have taken is a brief moment of internal reflection and awareness, and they could have kept from making Wonder Woman a rapist. Okay, so let's talk about how did we get here where a major movie was like, I have a good idea. Let's show the depiction of rape and sexual assault of this random guy who we're not even going to bother giving a name to. It's like, oh, the disconnect is, the disconnect is great with that one. So in order to understand how we got here, let's examine something in our culture called gender. And no, not the stuff you are born with. That is sex. Gender is a social construct. And I have many more feelings on this, but for today, let's focus on just sex and emotions. Culturally, got cis heterosexual boys and men are taught and conditioned that they must prove their manliness by having multiple sex partners. So many sex partners. It's like the new thing to do. And failure to do so means that somehow you are doing it wrong. You are failing at life. You're emasculated. You are stigmatized. I mean, come on, incels, like seriously, it's like, there's a whole friggin' name around it. Oh my gosh, it's pretty crazy. Basically, boys are often trained in our society and, you know, also depending on their background to treat female partners and potential partners as sex objects. I mean, let's be real. When your goal is get to the top of the mountain, 
You're not going to stop along the way and go, but what truly is a mountain? It's the sum of its parts, the flowers and leaves. No, you're going to be like, race to the friggin' top because I need to claim my title, okay? And along with that, boys and men are also trained at the same time to curb, control, and minimize emotions besides, you know, the predetermined acceptable ones. Things like pride, bravery, and aggression are the manly ones. Like, you know, you see a street fight and the guys are like, what, bro, what, yeah, and they take their shirts off, what? You know, that kind of thing. So also, aggression and violence are also acceptable. But if you so much astray from these, oh gosh, guys, you're now weak and you're feminine. <gasps> dun, 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 I can't be feminine. That's like the worst thing to have ever happened to me. Ugh. I'm laughing, but I actually hear all the time. Anyways, basically, it's like this. Are you unhappy with the situation? Well, sorry, you need to work harder or fight harder to get what you deserve. Going back to incels and also, um, it's no coincidence that a lot of mass shootings are perpetuated by misogynists. Anyways, the flip side for this is that heterosexual girls and women must be virtuous. We are supposed to deny sex and be so coy and demure at the thought of me have sex? Oh no! And we're also not really taught realistic and healthy boundaries around sex as a result. I mean, we learn the Madonna horror complex, right? We are either categorized as a good, virtuous woman, oh look at me, I'm the Virgin Mary, or we're loose. I'm a harlot. Oh gosh. I mean, yeah. Conversations around setting healthy boundaries with consent and sex? Yeah, good luck. They're limited or most likely they're non-existent. And also, unlike men and boys, us women and girls are trained to express ourselves. We are nurturing and caring. We're sensitive. Oh, that's why we make such great mothers. Am I right? Am I right, ladies? Am I right, ladies? And we're also expected to be sweet and people-pleasing. The people-pleasing part especially because this often comes at the expense of our own boundaries and our own wants and agency. That's the very, 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 very brief summary of men versus women for sex and emotions in terms of gender constructs. So now what happens when these two tracks collide because they are incredibly different? Well, the consequences for females, you see stories like Chanel Miller and Jada. You see things like the Me Too movement. You see things like an ex-president literally encouraging sexual harassment. You see male partners who use coercion to force and achieve sex. I mean, how many times have we seen just in movies, in like the media where a man's like, hey, baby, you want to fuck? And she's like, no. And he's like, okay, what you you said no, but what you really mean is I need to try so much harder until you give in. And the woman's like, well, I've been socialized to be people-pleasing and coyly demure sex until eventually I give in. So I guess this kind of tracks, even though I really don't want to, but I'm scared to say no. I mean, ugh. Let me also see this in deadly consequences. I've already talked about mass shootings, right? But we also see it in the murders of trans women by cis men. And this is a terrifying intersection of misogyny and homophobia and transmobia, transphobes. And this is a horrifying intersection of misogyny and transphobia because these cis men interpret 
even the mere existence of trans women as a threat to their internalized standards of manliness. I mean, Jesus Christ, the trans panic defense is still a friggin' thing. Not, not an actual, I think, legal thing specifically, but it's used as a defense for cis men who murder trans women. And it goes something like, oh, I'm sorry, officer, but I thought that this person was a woman. When I discovered they were actually a man, I had a fit of panic because, oh God, a penis. I touched a penis. I'm now gay and I must murder this person because, oh, I can't be gay. Someone help me. Like, dear God, by that logic, every time you jack yourself off, you're gay. And also, nothing wrong with being gay. You're just freaking homophobic. So please, shut up. And also, I'm not making this up. This is an actual thing. Google it. (sighs) Okay, um, that's enough dicks for the moment. So getting back on track here. And by the way, if you want more about trans women and trans rights, please check out ContraPoints and Philosophy Tube on YouTube. They are incredible and know much more about this than I do. I'm a cis woman, so I don't want to stray too far from my lane, but trans lives are human rights. Okay, moving on. So backing up, we were talking about the collision of sex and emotions for men and women. So we have these really you know, culturally defined expectations for what men and women should do in terms of sex and emotions and what happens when they butt heads. Well, for women, we get stuff like rape culture. We get things like, oh, like Title IX stuff being compared to black men getting lynched, which actually happened. I don't even know what that racist, sexist, blah, 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 right? We see it in terms of rape culture, essentially. I'm just going to say it, rape culture. And the consequences for men, we actually get a really good glimpse of that through the Wonder Woman 1984 movie. Because again, in the film, you know, you got this guy with no name who is handsome, who's used for sex and in physical altercations, never consented. And by the way, for those of you who are saying, was it actually rape though? Did she actually rape him? This guy never consented to having his body used. This classifies as physical assault and rape. And because of that, because this person had sex without consent, they're the victim. And the person who fucked them was Wonder Woman. And therefore, she is a rapist. And this is the consequences that we see for men and boys. Just the freaking, like, glibness of this whole thing. Like, it's really symbolic for how our society treats male victims. It kind of says and implies and then goes on, like, waving a giant flag saying, you guys don't exist. Men cannot be victims and cannot be sexually or physically assaulted, particularly by women. Thanks a lot, Wonder Woman 84. And this isn't the only instance where we kind of see the fallout of these really rigid gender norms and rape culture. I mean, we talked about it a little bit you know, in this episode, how rape culture against female victims, you know, equals things like Jada and Chanel Miller. And, you know, you see how male victims are stigmatized and their silence. And yes, this, you know, this all is one consequence of rape culture and toxic masculinity, but it's not the only consequence. So men and boys' use of sexual violence against women is tied to their internalized need to have sex as a way to prove their self-worth. This is in no way saying it is okay. It is not okay. All right? Okay? Okay. However, if we are to really understand rape culture and toxic masculinity, if we're really to understand how the 
they were able to make Wonder Woman a rapist and no one actually noticed. We need to examine this. And the truth is, when men and boys are taught from a young age that their self-worth, their doing life correctliness is tied to the need to have sex combined with highlighting emotions like physical aggression and violence and dominance, you get sexual coercion and assault of rape and girls to fill this internal expectation, right? That's something we've already covered. Briefly summarize again in case you somehow forgot. But what happens when the reverse happens, all right? So if using sexual violence against men, against women, if using sexual violence against women and girls is like this, you know, external way to fulfill this expectation, what's the internal way? Well, what are men taught about emotions to bury it? Because anything besides the ones above are seen as weak and feminine. And so when men and boys think to themselves, well, I can't get sex. I, I'm not good at life. I'm doing it wrong. Something's wrong with me. And they turn it inwards then it becomes this breeding ground for depression and isolation and mental health issues. And when men and boys feel they're unable to fulfill these expectations, they're further labeled as weak and broken and wrong and just kind of perpetuates the cycle of they feel inadequate. And that leads to insecurities and depression. Mental Health America actually reports that 6 million men suffer from depression every year. That's not a small number, guys. And here's the really, here's the really fucked up part too, is because, because men are stigmatized for showing feminine emotions, hey y'all, when they try to speak out, well, either they don't because they don't want to show vulnerability or they get shut down because, oh, just suck it up and be a man. Or they turn to things like drinking and substance abuse to dull the pain. It's really common in female survivors too, to dull the pain, by the way. So no shame on people who use substances. The National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism reports the annual number of men who die due to alcohol-related causes. Get this, 62,000 compared to 26,000 women. And because, again, men and boys are restrained from speaking out, seeking help because it's seen as weak, this can also lead to suicide. The CDC reported in 2018, the suicide rate for males was 3.7 times higher than for females. And it isn't just in sexual assault and sexual abuse and in depression and suicide where we really see how toxic masculinity and these gender constructs hurt men, how they play out in everyday life. Like on a basic level, a lot of men are preyed upon daily in really predatory jobs. You have workplaces that really pick up on this toxic masculinity and they use it to kind of coerce men into like really dangerous environments. I actually worked a blue collar job for a while where I saw this firsthand and I was one of the boys. So I was also on the receiving end of it. It was a really, really interesting experience. Um, I'm not going to name the company for obvious reasons. I don't want to get sued. I don't have the money. But uh, let's say I worked outside and I looked for things in the ground that if you hit them, went sparky, sparky, boom, explode. <laughs> I think it should be enough to find out what I do, right? Anyways, it was a dangerous job. We worked in the middle of busy roads handling dangerous equipment. And the average workday was like 12 hours with low pay and very questionable safety protocol, unless it was just non-existent, in which case that was also very normal. 
And technically we had options, you know, to call for like flagging, which is where like, you know, the, the flights on the roads and then like the cars have to go around you and calling backup guys for dangerous stuff. But for the most part, we were just told to man up and get it done and move on and make more money because there was always more work that needed to be doing and you should just suck it up and work harder. Unless, of course, you don't have what it takes. I mean, literally once I came to this pipe that was electrified and I was like, hey boss, I was always told to call you if, if there was a sparky pipe that I shouldn't touch and he went, oh no, just hook up anyways, just be careful. And I shocked myself and I was like, oh, I should have told him to F off. Anyways, but this mentality, I, I fell for it, right? I sucked it up and was careful and touched an electrified pipe and went, ow, that hurt. But that suck it up and just figure it out mentality is so pervasive. I had a coworker who came to work with a broken thumb. I mean, this thing was the size of a melon and it was, this, I saw it turn over the course of a week into this gross, like swollen, deep purple monstrosity before he finally went to the hospital. I was like, dude, go. And he was like, no, I'll just tough it out. I'm fine. I'll use my other hand. Like, what? It, it was just, it was horrifying to watch, but he didn't want to lose a paycheck. And he was going on about how he had to support his family. And I had another coker with the same mentality who came to work without lunch for the first few months that I knew him. I ended up giving him my lunch because he was bragging about how he could power through it. And I was like, oh, well, I don't want my sandwich. Do you want it? Like, I'm not going to eat it. I'm just going to throw it away. And he went, Yes. So I was like, yeah, here, here. Yeah. You're doing me. I'm just like this like, you know, innocent little girl and I need like I need a big strong man to eat my lunch for me. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> I mean it wasn't it wasn't quite like that, but again, I'm not subtle, so I probably was actually like that. But okay, getting back. Working 12-hour shifts was really normal and including on-call shifts. And over time, I still have nightmares about the ringtone that said, hey, I know it's like three in the morning, but guess what? You're going to a call two hours away. Huzzah! Oh, the first time I did overtime, by the way, I was finally sent home after 36 hours of not sleeping and working because my work car camera caught me falling asleep while driving. But guess what? I hadn't slept in 32 hours because that damn phone kept going off and I was so tired. And I said that, but they were like, oh, just do your best and suck it up. This is what it's like to work this job. Oh, funny story. The man also on call with me was sent home literally within an hour of me because he backed over his gear and like ran it over. Because he was so tired, he hadn't slept in 36 hours either. But just to fight these conditions, we were devoted. We fought for more overtime because that was the only way we would get, you know, any kind of real money to support ourselves. Guys even fought for overtime. They bragged about their 70, 80 hour work weeks. They bragged about people who threatened them. They bragged about getting shocked by live wires. Well, you know, you, you can always touch one thing once. <laughs> Zap. And they were like, yeah, I am tough enough to suck it up and take one for the team. I actually won. Before I quit, I actually heard this phrase in person when a manager asked me if I could uh, stay and work through my Thanksgiving hours instead of going home two hours earlier. Yeah, God forbid I wanted an eight-hour shift instead of a 10-hour one on friggin' Thanksgiving. But he said, you got to suck it up and take one for the team. And completing this circle, I know we said we're circling back around, but we're kind of coming back to the end of the loop. Think like the end of the race where you see the finish line and you're like, I'm striding. Does anyone here race or just, just me? God, I sound like such a pretentious douchebag. 
here is where we're finally getting to it. Like our final point, the same social constructs that contribute to male survivor stigmatization is one end of a spectrum that also confines them in situations like that predatory job, right? No one is more extreme than the other, obviously, but it's on the same spectrum and it has similar roots in gender constructs. And while my coworkers bragged about how tough they were in reality, they were not happy. They felt trapped. They felt trapped by a need to make money and provide for their families. And they were egged on to prove how tough they were to cut it in that job and outman each other. And any attempts to complain about working conditions or pay or safety was, well, that is not culturally acceptable. Just suck it up. I mean, look at that guy. He works so hard. Why can't you just be like him? He's so masculine and manly. And statistically, you know, some of these guys would then go home and take out their unhappiness at their partners or their family or on themselves because you can't do it at work and you're upset, but you're a man. So society says you can't show vulnerability and emotion. So because uh, that part of you is uh, suppressed, hmm, what are the acceptable emotions? What's the acceptable way that we can process it? Oh, yeah. Anger. Rage. Processing it as violence fostering cycles of abuse at families or at themselves, bolstering a growing mental health crisis and opioid crisis to boot. Thanks, gender constructs, and thanks, Wonder Woman. I blame, I blame you. You know what? I, I blame you. Okay, my final point. While it may be more obvious how toxic masculinity harms women and femmes and trans women, and people from the LGBTQ community and minority groups and people of color, we also got to talk about the dicks. We got to talk about how dangerous it can be for men and boys as well. Male violence cannot be excused. All right. It's never okay to be like, oh yeah, I killed this person because gender constructs told me to. Yeah, it's a choice, buddy. So no, don't even. However, if we want to end cycles of violence, we kind of got to understand the motivating factors behind their thinking process, how, like, what is going into their heads? Why are they thinking it this way? And how can we go back and untangle these types of thoughts? And in the case of toxic masculinity, in the case of rape culture, we have a better chance of changing what it means to be a man, changing these gender constructs that trap men in predatory jobs, that trap men in a cycle of feeling they need to coerce partners into having sex to prove themselves, that make them feel like they can't express their emotions, that they can't cry and be vulnerable and be whole, well-rounded people. We can't change all that until we take into account how damaging toxic masculinity is to men and boys as well as women and girls. Okay, let's wrap this up because that was a long one. I hope that it was helpful in terms of understanding this problem as a whole because there's a reason it's called toxic masculinity, right? It hurts everyone. So if we are going to work toward breaking the cycle of violence and tearing down rape culture, we got to help everyone and pitching it as an issue that affects everyone because it does. 
And with that, I'm going to leave you to your own thoughts. Thank you so much for joining in. If you want to write out, if you have questions, comments, concerns, inspirational stories, please email us at thedeepdiscussion at gmail.com. You're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and now also LinkedIn and YouTube because I don't, I don't know. Someone told me it was a good idea. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. It's not like I'm not already super busy. So please go support me there too so I don't feel like I'm just like making a giant mistake. We all have stories and they deserve to be heard. I'll see you next time. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also visit their website, thehotline.org. If you identify as an abuser or a word you might be an abuser, please call the hotline as well. They'll be able to help you. Please remember, you're not alone.